This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome into Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, how hefty was the dad tax last night? <laughs> Enough that I had a hard time uh, making my way to carpool this morning. I'll tell you that much. It was. Uh, I think everybody was uh, after last year. I think you kind of did had trick or treat last year, but there's a lot of houses that didn't, and they definitely tried to make up for it this year because my kids' bags were loaded, like stale leftover from. 20, yeah, I did. I did. There was somebody who had and and listeners of the podcast here, Mike, you try to answer it too. There were a few pieces of candy in these bags that were Christmas themed. Now, my question is, is this extremely old candy or somebody found the store that is jumping in very early with Christmas candy? It's interesting because I know if I go to Kroger or or some store around here soon, they're going to skip past Thanksgiving and you're Mm going to see Christmas themed things. I'm not saying Christmas trees, but like I think candy would be out for sure. But did they go that soon? That's that's interesting. That's quite an accusation you would levy against somebody. <laughs> I, I I'm leaving it open ended. I'm leaving it open ended. I went to a graduation party in my family once many years ago, and it was obviously like May graduation, and there was a case of um, adult beverages beer, mm-hmm. and I was looking at one of them. And thinking, oh man, this is a, a Super Bowl edition. Like it's May, right? so this is probably three to four months old. Depending uh-huh. on, I forget exactly when the Super Bowl was that year. And I'm like going, oh, okay. And then I'm trying to figure out Roman numerals, Chris. Oh god! And, and it wasn't like <laughs> an easy one, like fifty or forty-five or something like that. And I was like, wait a minute, fifty-three. Wait, hold on. It was like. <laughs> at least two years old. <laughs> <laughs> I, so it was worse wanna, than two or three months old. It was, I think it was at least two years old if I had the math right in my head. I don't want to rag on them too hard, man. I think, I think we all have that, that separate beer fridge or a little separate beer station or something. Cause I, I know we got the garage fridge here and there's a, uh, there are a few beers in there. If you, if anybody, God forbid you ever come to my house for a party and you are drinking a dark ale, if you are a dark ale drinker and I give you one, it's probably at least three years old. I, I am not a dark ale drinker, and and they just sit in my fridge and sit and sit and sit. I can't get myself to throw them away, so I just give them to whenever anybody asks for them. So there's people that are still coming over and, and taking them, and hey, no complaining when it's free, okay? Yeah, those are hospitality beers. Yes, yes. So someone comes over would you like a beer sure and you go into that corner and you're like oh my gosh that's the good stuff right it's not the good stuff that's the <laughs> stuff that is just for those special occasions and like when you hand it across the room your wife looks at you with those eyes like what are you doing <laughs> i'm being hospitable what are you talking about yes <laughs> i went to the hey, good fridge and, and we've just hidden hidden the christmas three kiss christmas themed bud light seltzers in the back of the fridge and then in about a month we're going to move them to the front of the fridge so that everybody be like, oh hey I'm like yep those are definitely not 14 months old. They're like four days old. Case in point on jumping the gun on the holiday, those Christmas themed ones have been out for weeks. Yeah. Or months, I guess, if you're talking about them, right? Being in your fridge for a while. But I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about that one. That's a, yeah. I passed that one. And also might not come to your house because <laughs> I might get one of those. BYOB at my house. That, that might be a, a fair warning. Let's go to something else that has no expiration date. West Virginia, two-game winning streak, and it's the nicest day here in town in quite some time. The weather has been, well, I guess I've been here for a lot of it now that I think of it, but in my uh, on and off attendance here in Morgantown in the past, feels like month, it's been that typical gray, dreary transition from 
summer to whatever this is. This is like fallish, I guess. We're right about that time where it, it starts a lot, you know, wrap its arms around the fact that it's autumn and not some monsoon season from the Amazon jungle. Yeah, it's kind of nice, and I can't overlook the fact that it coincides with back-to-back wins, including a win at home. Get another one at home. Still looking forward to Texas for maybe the last time here. We'll see. But things have certainly changed. Probably going to have more people at the next home game, I think, than the last home game. At least that's the hope. But I think a lot of people are probably back on board here because there's an imaginary line here with fans. And I think the 500 record is one and, and bowl eligibility is another. And they're certainly back on track for both of those. This seems like the mood has changed quite a bit. Yeah, it certainly feels like it. Uh, I think it, there was there was a dark spot there, and there was a dark. It was, a, I guess, staring down a dark tunnel as well. Not just like exactly where you were, but what looked ahead of you because of the way West Virginia played in that Baylor game. There was, and the way West Virginia had kind of continued to lose the same exact way every single time. I mean, it, there's no denying that there were there was a way where you were looking in the future just a couple weeks ago and saying, "Holy crap, this team could finish three and nine, two and eight. I mean, we that was a question on our podcast was, is there a difference between three and nine with a win over Kansas and two and ten and a loss to Kansas? Remember that discussion, Mike? Like, what, I do. I love it. Yes. Yeah, like that was that was a legitimate discussion, and that was not a crazy question to be asked. That was not a crazy question. That was a legitimate discussion that we had on this podcast two weeks ago. And now, and I'm, 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 I'm trying to remember who it was, and I'm sorry. I know you remember on the board, and you asked it, I think, maybe in that same mailbag or just made a comment because it wasn't part of the mailbag of this is the kind of dumb WVU season where they're going to end up winning out, right? And it was like, well, that's the most, uh, you know, optimistic view of where things are right now. Two weeks later, maybe that guy's not crazy either. Yeah, I thought it was okay to answer and ask questions about bowl eligibility. I didn't think two and ten was coming. But I thought there was a scenario in which they go like five and seven, four and eight for sure. Because there are some ranked opponents and some good offenses against a team that, you know, isn't hasn't been very good against ranked teams. And hasn't played very good defense, and we knew what the offense had been, so there were certainly concerns. I do think that we'll talk about how the benefit for the open week is pretty clear right now, but it was in a bad spot, too, because that that Baylor game was so um, revealing or worrisome, however you want to call it. Maybe it wasn't revealing because they've been quite a bit different, but maybe they needed that. Maybe they needed to be revealed to fix some things, but also it really made them a stationary target for two weeks because you had nothing to do to change the opinions out there. So when you, when you stink like that on the road and then you don't play for a while, that's, that's really kind of your legacy for lack of a better term until you can change it. And I still contend that that game and going on the road against TCU was a good spot for them. And it turned out it was, but I don't know. That, that seemed like they they put themselves in an adverse position with their record, and then the schedule kind of made it even more adverse because they hadn't won on the road, and TCU's rush offense is really good, and they ordinarily play good defense. But well, we nailed TCU, didn't we? Like we we knew that was a, a shaky foundation. Look at it now. I I feel uncomfortable talking about other teams and coaches now. I that's that's two coaches we've talked about being in tenuous situations and we feel like the team or the, the or the program may be in a better spot to just move on or likely would move on in the case of Matt Wells. And I think we, uh, our podcast wasn't even up 24 hours before Wells was gone. And then a week later, Gary Patterson, who had been coached for what 20 some seasons is gone a week after we talked talk about that one too. I, I don't feel comfortable with it, Mike. I don't know who else we should voodoo doll on this one. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable for it because I had people tell me that I was getting fired before in my career. That's not a nice thing you want to wear around with your neck if you're a journalist. It's not like a, the press pass and also the Grim Reaper chain. That's not fun. But unfortunately, I did cross and pass with people who weren't good at their jobs and mm-hmm. had to be written about and lost them. I don't really know Matt Wells or, or Gary Patterson, so that's not good. But Matt Wells, yeah, I mean, they really tried to replace him last summer, if you'll remember, and it didn't work. 
Um, now they did because again, you fire a coach who was five and three right before they played two ranked teams. That's a hard move for or four ranked teams, right? Uh, they were yeah. at least ranked at the time. But that's a hard move for an administration to make, and that's how bad it was. Like I think we can all, you know, agree now that the welfare of the student athlete is not the priority for a lot of these schools. But man, imagine asking your coach with a winning record with four games against ranked teams to go. That's pretty much saying you don't believe in them or the coach. Like they're not going to be able to overcome an inept coach. Sorry about your luck, players. You're out. That's a hard thing to do. And then kind of what I'd heard, and what we, this was kind of the motivation for the question about Patterson before, but. There have been rumblings that he might retire or he might get asked to retire. They might say, listen, one year, you know, in or out, it's up to you. You got to make 2022 work. And then that kind of brought about some whispers about retirement. And then this is kind of convoluted puzzle, but Texas Tech has its eyes on one or two coaches that presumably would take the TCU job over Texas Tech. And they got in the pool first. Now, that doesn't mean that they're first in line to pick a coach. Ultimately, the coach has to pick where they want to go. But if Patterson does, for example, um, stick around this year, then maybe a coach at TCU wanted ends up taking the Texas Tech job because Patterson isn't available. Well, I think TCU maybe countered that by kind of turning the screws on Patterson a bit. And boy, what a what a that's a surprise to me. Like you see a lot of these hires sometimes and fires that. They can go, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. I didn't expect it. I thought that would have more time. I'm trying to think of one that really surprised me more than this, which is strange because the Ed Orgeron thing happened. Like, <laughs> that guy won a national title two years ago and beat Florida. Like had a pretty good win, and he's out two days later. That was a surprise to me. That feels like an eternity ago. But also, um, man, the Patterson one just kind of rocks me back on my heels. I know it wasn't a good situation there, but what he's meant to that school. And again, how, how resilient he's been. You wondered if there would be an ultimatum or if he get like one of those, listen, you got to do it now or we're going to have to have a serious talk in 2023. And he didn't even get that, like that whole resiliency thing, elasticity of Gary Patterson. That wasn't even part of his his conclusion, like his redeeming trade as a head coach, especially when he got into the Big 12, was that he could bounce back and he wasn't given that opportunity. Or well, th- he was, huh? and you know it just didn't work out in those previous seasons where he had a chance to bounce back because we talked about how he always had like a seven and six, and then a twelve and two or something like that, and at seven and six to five and seven or five and seven to six and six, just it never got back on top like it was supposed to for him. Well, let's start there. I mean, we got obviously we're here we're here to do the mailbag, and I think there were a couple questions related to these situations that I think are important for West Virginia, or at least at the very least relevant to uh, West Virginia athletics and what's going to go on in the, in the conference. Um, so I guess what that first question from the mailbag from Cole, 1867, you want to take a stab at anybody who lands the head coach positions at Texas tech or TCU, who would you hire? If I'm Texas tech, I really want a defense guy. I don't know how they're going to do that, but it's so hard to get players to commit to playing defense there that if you have an offensive head coach that has a staff, it's going to be hard to do that. If I had someone who was really known for defense, I would do it. And I don't know who that's going to be. I'm not sure they're going to get a great person out there. Like, like they really, they've got a lot working against them in, in some regard, perceptionally. It's, I think I asked this on the, on the board. It's the worst power five job in Texas, right? Is that fair? I think I, I'm, I'm running through. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I. But it's yeah. got. It's got great facilities. It really does. And it's in a, a growing town, but it's it's kind of remote. The high school football around there, people will, will give you different opinions on. But it's still a school in Texas, and a lot of people cling to that. It's also had some, let's say, unusual exits by head coaches. Like the Mike Leach thing is, is unfortunate, but he remains a compelling and successful person, a coach. Tommy Tuberville literally left during a recruiting meeting with a with a family that's how little he wanted to be there to go to the head coach be the head coach of cincinnati um and they fired kingsbury which kingsbury probably wasn't going anywhere but when you look at that now you're like you're thinking man these weird things keep happening here they just fired a guy whose team is seven and one in the nfl and and looks like they figured things out but kingsbury's downfall was he couldn't get a defensive guy in there and then you know we go back to some of leach's teams that lost that didn't have great offense or great defenses so you got to get someone there i don't know who that's going to be I know they want to try to talk to Dykes because his dad. Everybody wants a shot at Jeff Trailer right now, and he just did the the uh, 
attaboy for the school by signing an extension, which means that he probably knows he's going soon. And he can go where he wants, but he's going to make sure that UTSA gets money on the way out in the form of a new buyout. So good on him. Mm-hmm. So now it's like Texas Tech is second in line, I think, because TCU is going to be a big time job. Like TCU is a big time job. I don't know if people know that. And you remember this, too. The Big 12 is a power five conference that you know people will say is the clear non top two. But it's going to get a lot easier to win now without Texas and Oklahoma in there. So is it the it's an interesting question as to where it ranks in in the Big 12. We can get to that, I guess. But like it's more appealing now because one, it's open and two, it's it doesn't have Oklahoma and Texas there anymore. A name that I would keep an eye on just because I think that the situation lines up right for them is Brent Venables. Don't know why, but that's a name that I, I like think could make sense there he's been like a presumptive head coach somewhere for so long and he hasn't done it he's got the big 12 connections he's a defense first guy at a school that has had that and he would get a big time staff with him too of young and old and that could recruit that dallas area too i just don't know that tc is going to do this and, and is in a rush to go get sunny dykes that just doesn't seem like the answer to me i don't know why i wouldn't be surprised if dykes ended up at texas tech or trailer um and then you get a big-time name at TCU. Who it is right now, I don't know. I'd be curious to see what a lot of the reporters get from conversations in the industry and also agents, but there's one that I heard that it just seems like it could be a good time now would be Brent Venables. I was wondering if that SMU-Houston game was was like a semifinal battle to see who got the, the lead in the search. Do you, th- do you think Dana is an option for either of these schools, or do you think, or on flip, do you even think Dino would be interested since Houston's already moving to the Big 12? Yeah. Why would he have to get a Big 12 job now when he has a Big 12 job? Um, right. And also, I can't mistake the fact that he was, let's just say, intimidated about having to go into a, a, a go against Oklahoma every year. He doesn't have to do that now. So he's he, like, he's got something going there. I know it's the American, but they've got a really good defense. That staff has come together. I'm not sure how long you can keep Doug Belk. But they've got good coaches in different positions, and their plan was really weird initially, and I think maybe it deviated a little bit, but it's successful. They built that from the defensive side. They obviously know offense over there. It's just that they're not explosive on offense, but they put up a lot of points and won a game on a kickoff return the other night. So they've got the old three sides of the ball, Chris. Took some time, but they've got that going. I don't think he's in a rush to forsake that to get to a place that he's going to be just by simply staying on course in a while for a, what maybe two years I think they come in right is that right yeah 20, yep. yeah why would he why would he jump off the ship that he's kind of guided through the canal right now and he's going to end up in the same place anyway I, I like your picks I like to talk about a, a defense a defensive guy and again it maybe this speaks to just where we are with college football nowadays is you tell me to hey find a defensive head coach and I my head's not completely blank, contrary to popular belief, but who who's your list of top defensive head coaches? I mean, and, and I'm not talking, yeah. you can't say Nick Saban, you know, right? Like, who are the realistic top defensive head coaches? I don't know a list. I can't think mm-hmm. of a list. Um, it's tough because I'm with you. I think the offensive players will kind of fill in themselves, but you have to find a, a guy who has the defensive mind that can compete there and and – and get that side of the ball going. An interesting one I saw mentioned by our Texas Tech site, Billy Napier from uh, Louisiana. Hmm. What, 21, 28, and 5 over the last three years so far? Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, I, I don't know. He, he, he studied at Alabama. He studied at Clemson. You know, he's got those, those kind of roots that people, that athletic department or athletic directors love. He's had spent time with both of those staffs, so I I don't know. I it's I feel like we're too early. I don't for for true carousel talk because I think it could get wild with a another surprise decision or two. But yeah, this this TCU decision really throws a wrench in the in the uh, search for Texas Tech because I'm I'm with you. I think if I'm a coach that is trying to say get back home to Texas or get back out there or, or a coordinator somewhere else that's trying to get a head coaching job. I'm picking TCU over Texas tech every day of the week. Yeah. 
Napier is interesting. He's been a guy that's been buzzed about for a while. Um, but I just I think you're going to see a ton of like the regular suspects. You know, you're like again Napier, Jamie Chadwell will be one. We mentioned Dykes, Trailer. There's going to be that flavor of the day stuff, and I just don't know the TCU does that, especially making this move right now. Um, Texas Tech's going to have a, a tricky thing, and like a defensive assistant would be um, uh, Mike Elko at Texas A&M. Not sure he's leaving the West Division of the SEC to go to Texas Tech and be the head coach there. Now, could he be a guy at TCU? Maybe. Um, Here's an obtuse name for you for TCU. Well, Bob Stoops. (laughs) Guy loves Dallas. I mean, loves Dallas, and then it's not a a strange thing for him. And also, he wouldn't have to coach against Oklahoma. I think it was a year later it might make more sense, but I wonder how long he's going to stay out of it if he's really happy on TV. And you just hear him mention with things like USC, but there's a job in Dallas in the Big 12 where he would go in and be maybe a star there. And probably not going to happen, but like everybody's talking about, you know, guys who are on the field or sitting head coaches. And I just wonder how long he's going to stay out of it or how long he wants to stay out of it. Where, also, where was he? Forget, he was in the XFL, the right? Uh, yeah, with um, hey. with them. Yeah, uh, in Dallas. Yeah. Oh, was it that? That was my question. Was it because I remember? Yeah, I, I think he still has the coaching itch, obviously, by the fact that he went into the XFL. But I was trying to remember where it was. But okay, Dallas. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and then um, had to mention Hugh Freeze. Like you can't have a job open without mentioning Hugh Freeze, right? Yep, don't think so. Is it? Um... <laughs> All right. Here's uh, where was it? Yeah, John A two four A twenty four. Uh, still, again, related to the conversation we're just having here. With Gary Patterson out as the TCU head coach, I'm not going to ask you to rank all 10 like he does from best to worst in the Big 12, but where does TCU fall on that out of that 10? I mean, I guess we I guess we kind of have to start casually listing the, each, te- each team in order to figure out or, or at least put them in tiers, but where does TCU rank? I mean, it's not, it's not Oklahoma or Texas. Is it right, it's right there that? though? It's right. It's that next line. Yeah, it really is. Um, because listen, I'm going to put it above Oklahoma State for for one reason. It's the Metroplex. You're, you're just in Dallas. Like it's a lot yeah. easier to do stuff there. The population's good, and and, and Oklahoma State's recruiting is kind of like, uh, um, it's good and it goes into Texas and it gets players, but. By and large, it's because of the reputation of the head coach and the offense and the staff. I'm not taking anything from Mike Gundy there, but if you started from scratch and you put like just control experiment head coaches in every one of those places, it's just going to be easier for the TCU job to get going, I think, because it's going to have access to players. And like that, a new coach or new staff is going to have to really work to get in into that, that Dallas area or that Texas area that makes sense geographically for Oklahoma State. So, and then their facilities are are good. They have money. They have private donors. It's not a huge fan base or um, like graduate base, alumni base, but there's some money there for sure. Uh, there, there's a good endowment. It's it's a it's it's just it just is. And people haven't seen it do what maybe it's supposed to have done in the past couple of years. And that's maybe why we're having this conversation today. But below Texas and Oklahoma, I would have it as the best job in the Big Twelve. I think you're going to see a lot of people. Whether carrying the water for a prospective coach or an agent or even the university put this up there as like a top 25, top 20 job, like a sleeping giant kind of thing. But it checks a lot of boxes. Cool uniforms, really cool uniforms. They've marketed things like crazy in the past where like everything they do is cool. And you can speak to fans and and recruits like that. And you can get assistant coaches to pay attention to you when, when you can do stuff that makes them realize that. Hey, there's some ingenuity here. There's some creativity. This is a place that's really invested in it. Besides just facilities and and we, the fact that Dallas is in your backyard, that athletic director is a really ambitious guy who's got some connections. Like his resume, check it up, or check it out is is legitimate. And he's probably been kind of priming the pump for a spot like this. And here he goes. And somebody who was in general counsel and the head of representation for Lee Steinberg's agency probably doesn't need a coaching search firm to help him. He probably knows all the players on speed dial. Um, but that's just a good guy to have in charge there. I, I just think it's the best one that is in Texas and Oklahoma. I'm sure people disagree, and probably Oklahoma State would get the nod from some people, but I just think when you look at what would be easier to start up or to get going, it would be TCU. Another perk, and, and Hugh, Fre- Hugh Freeze will really love this. 
private university, so not subject to FOIA um, requests. Yeah. Where, where would you put them? I, I think that's right. I, I think for yeah. me, it was a decision between TCU and Oklahoma State for that third spot. But everything you just said, I feel like because Oklahoma State, you got big money donors, you got money out there, but the recruiting base is not what it is. I'm not sure the fan base is what it is. And I think if you in Texas, Texas is the team. I do believe that. But it's almost like you have to look at Dallas as a separate, not a separate state almost. And in Dallas, I think you can say that TCU is the team or at least can be um, more than some other of the teams in the area, even though you do have uh, SMU right there, Waco not far away. But in, o- in Oklahoma, Oklahoma State is definitively number two behind Oklahoma in basically every city in the entire state except Stillwater. So I think if you can go to TCU, you can turn that really into a power with the recruiting base, with the fan base. So, yeah, it would probably be number three for me as far as where I would go if I got to just pick my job in the Big Ten or at least or Big 12 with what is the easiest path to success. Don't forget the facilities include a Gary Patterson statue, too. It's going to be hard to get past that. There you go. Um, shall we move on to questions that actually pertain to West Virginia, Mike? I guess. Why not? Yeah, okay. Um, moving on down. Well, actually, we'll go towards the top. And I, we, I, I've kind of t- taken some flack from a few users here because when we cop, hop on this podcast, we talk about football, basketball, candy, Halloween, other teams, uh, coaches. And I, and I don't really address recruiting a lot on the podcast. Um, but I think there's some questions here and we're six weeks away from signing day. So it's, it's back. It's back in, not, I don't want to say in the complete forefront, but it's in the mix. Coaches are having visitors, all that stuff. And, um, there's some news that came out over the weekend. So things we got to talk about. And one of the first questions in the thread was from Lighten. Are there guys in this recruiting class right now that will not be in the class in one month? Hmm. <laughs> I guess so I'll go people, ahead. People who may jump ship. Yeah. Who, so there's who may have the ship leave them at the port. Right. There's two. There's two ways that a kid will not be in the class that are that is currently in the class that will not be in the class come signing day. Two different ways. One, obviously, the kid gets other options, takes other visits, ends up decommitting and finding another school. That is possible. That's always possible. There's almost always at least one or two of those kids that happens per class. I mean, there's some guys you got to watch, especially running back Justin Williams, who was yeah. in the span of the last 72 hours. He visited Auburn, got an offer from Michigan, got an offer from Tennessee and is planning and came out and said that he will take his final two official visits. Uh, he's already taken three, including one to WVU but says he will take his final two official visits and it's sounding like they could be to Tennessee and Michigan. Um, Auburn's really close. So he's popped over there a couple times for unofficials. I doubt he would use an official there, even if they do offer. But I mean, when you have a kid that's still taking official visits, getting new offers, getting offers from, you know, SEC programs that are right around the corner, it's always something you have to be concerned about. And he was, he's a guy that I would watch closely in this class as far as if he's still going to be around. Um, Zion Young's another one who's been picking up some interest in offers lately. Has said he might still take some phys- official visits. Uh, Michigan State, Missouri, um, Tennessee, all coming in late with offers. So watch that. Um, and was oh yeah, the other way around, where West Virginia moves on from a recruit. Every single class, there's there's one, maybe two, where a kid that West Virginia took a commitment from early in the process, maybe not even that early in the process, but the kid just doesn't either progress on the field or progress in the classroom the way that they are planning to. And I think you're still going to see that this year. I think you you, you might still see one um, not be in the class in a few weeks and it'll come out and in and, and, and both ways, whenever somebody decommits because they want to go to another school or West Virginia cuts a kid loose, a lot of times it comes out as, a mutual agreement, uh, talk with my family, parted ways, however you want to say it. I, odds are West Virginia will gently persuade one player to move on and one player 
whoever it is, just odd say, I don't have anybody in mind on this one, um, will say, I'm looking at other options. I'm going to, you know, decommit and flip to another school. Odds are there'll be one of each. Uh, you know, nothing that's going to, I don't think, that's going to completely devastate the class. I do believe there's a plan in place for both situations. Um, but it's always, I mean, it's it's recruiting. <laughs> West Virginia hasn't had a decommit yet. I don't think it's a big deal. But, yeah, I expect one of each of those before signing day. Let's suppose that Williams does wander somewhere in the SEC, let's say. Do you think they go running back to Phil? Or do you think that, I mean, Jalen Anderson is wearing number 28 on the sideline watching games now. He's almost like a recruit for next year a little bit. He's redshirting, but that's a pretty good piece to have next year. Would that be enough? Or do you think they try to backfill at the running back spot? I think once you get to this point in the season, it will be very difficult to find another running back, like high school running back recruit to add. So I believe they will transition more to a transfer. And another reason they might transfer, you know, transition to a transfer is the, and you will hear this, if you talk to recruiting coordinators and, and, and guys that are in charge of recruiting, anybody that works in that department, you will hear we need to balance the classes. We need to balance the classes. As you noted, Jalen Anderson, basically a recruit for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Mathis, what is a sophomore? Uh, you got a lot of young guys in this room, a lot of young guys in that running back room, especially when Letty Brown leaves. So it would not, I, I fully expect actually, like even who, depending, maybe even independent of whatever Justin Williams does, that West Virginia will look at a transfer running back because. Really? Just just balancing those classes, it's so important, and it is true. I mean, you, you these recruiting guys, their job is to think not just for this year, but for the future. And so that kind of does both, where you balance out these classes. You really got to get it. You got to get it done. So I think that your transfer running back would be in the mix, more so if Williams is, is out. Um, I mean, I do think that has some impact on that, but the classes are going to be you – know, it's going to be a young room. When Letty Brown leaves, that's where I don't think I'm breaking any ground there. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And then the defensive line recruiting is just Zion and Eric Burton, right? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Off the top of my oh, head. I, I guess if they lose him, they could still go get somebody. Portal, junior college, Jordan Leslie would know that. But it seems like a pretty good year to have up to seven extra scholarships, though, too, right? Yeah, sure does. I think I, you're right. I mean... Jordan Leslie's connections into those JUCOs in Mississippi is huge. Now, West Virginia didn't take any junior college players last year. Really, nobody did because of the free, quote, free year. Everybody kind of saw that as an opportunity to uh, pick up more transfers, pick up like traditional transfers and pick up more high school kids. Um, But he, he could definitely go that route. I think they've been touching base with a lot of defensive linemen. Multiple new 22, 2022 offers that have gone out lately have been to defensive lineman uh anthony moten uh i believe is how you pronounce it defensive lineman from down in florida that's somebody to keep an eye on he says he wants to take an official visit i think uh jeffrey imba um he's a big kid from he's a junior college player but west virginia's been on him since high school i know i've told the story about him he was high schooler that came in from france was bouncing around the different prep schools had a, a language barrier issue that really kind of stunted the academic side of things so he wasn't eligible but he showed up to one of those recruiting camps and I was talking to a certain capital S someone who literally stiff armed me 
mid-conversation to get me the hell out of the way so he could go talk to this kid as soon as he walked in. He is a massive human being, 6'6", 305, so keep an eye on him. I know they'd love to add him um, going down the line. Hayden Schwartz, another kid from Jacksonville that they have offered recently or re-engaged with recently, so keep an eye on him. Um, and, and I'm sorry, I said Anthony Moten early. It's Ahmad Moten, um, a big kid from down in Fort Lauderdale that Travis Trickett is on and is trying to get up for a visit. So, yeah, it seems to be a place that they're still um, targeting for this class. My bad. I took your uh, your question here. It looks like about a uh, transfer portal running back later on in the queue, didn't I? Oh, is that in there? Somebody's Somebody else is on it here. Somebody's you guys got the good questions. Yeah, my bad. I'll, I'll stop talking. I just I was very <laughs> interested because I, I just think that that running back thing could be an interesting direction to go. They have some talent. I think they like that, but obviously losing Sparrow. I'm not sure Sparrow is a part of it, but that's a body that's no longer in the room. I don't think anybody expects Buddy Brown to be back again next year. So you're looking at Mathis, Johnson, Anderson, maybe Williams, maybe not, but they probably want to get some more people in there too. So what do they do? 11th hour, especially if it happens, would be tricky, but having that flexibility with extra up to seven extra scholarships would be pretty helpful. Yeah, you're right. Because, yeah, there was that three three scholarship running backs. That's it. If you don't count Williams mm-hmm. right now, that's 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 a light room. That is a light room. Um, moving on from recruiting to football, football questions for West Virginia. Um, let's kick it off. I knew people were on, on it about this, tweeting about it during the game, said we should talk about it. I thought about bringing it up in the postgame pod. But I wanted to give us each a couple days to not ride the daggy high here. Let it let it sink in a little more what actually went on. Um, there are a couple variations of this question, but I'll read the one from Timber Pimp since he was first. If Daggy leads this team to two or more wins and a bowl win, does Neil Brown push for him to come back for one more year? I mean, this is this is a really juicy question, and I do not have an answer for it because I did not think this was going to be on our radar. And in any of the conversations I had with people during the open week or even last week, um, because he played splendid football. What did I say? He was the number three graded pro football focused quarterback, right? In the country this last With a week, pick yeah. six. That was a dreadful play. That's how well he played. Like he was that he had a huge anchor attached to him and he was number three in the country. That's pretty good. So he played well. And then, that's the model of how they want him to play is he's getting rid of the ball and putting it in play. And that putting it in play sounds so simple, but it's the most important thing when you're playing this air raid, you got to hit the mesh, you got to hit the tight end underneath. You got to take a shot down the field and give your receiver a chance. And he, he's done that. And I don't know why it took, whether it's, you know, the eighth game of this season, whether it's the third season at his second school, I don't know, but he was not that good against TCU. He played all right against TCU, don't get me wrong. And he's had some performances like that. But what we saw Saturday was like on another level for him, which is good, it's promising. And part of me says, boy, if you can put that in a bottle um, that lasts the summer and you can put that under center next year. Listen, they, their offense could be very good next year with a really good quarterback because those receivers should probably all be coming back. We'll see if they all want to. The offensive line could be old together. And again, if they can bottle it up and last the offseason too, that's a big if. But boy, you you maybe would answer a question there too. But then again, is it one game, possibly two? If you look at his his highly productive games in the past where he's had a good completion percentage or a bunch of yardage, whatever, the points haven't been there too. So you still want to maintain the possibility that that could be an outlier. It's just that it came against a very good defense. And it's he was playing the position the way it's supposed to be played. I just don't know if the light went on or if the bulb was like loose and someone screwed it in and and, it, and it's the way it's always been, but now it's just finally working. I don't know yet. And again, I just hadn't, I hadn't heard this from anybody in the past, but it's a really good question too, because if you, if you don't like him and you take him out, you're in a precarious situation next year where you have to hope that Crowder or green are ready to go either as a tandem or separately or you have to really, really, really hope that you struck oil and Nico Marchio is ready to start as a true freshman, a left-handed true freshman, which means you're going to have to spend some time in the summer flipping things around because you have a left-handed quarterback. Separate story. But still, the easier path here might just be having Daigie behind center next year, which is an inconceivable thought 15 days ago. 
you're right in that, you know, was that an outlier? Was the, were these last two games, the TCU game wasn't even that great. I mean, 21 to 28 is solid. 257 isn't exactly a, a high number of yardage uh, of yards for that. No touchdowns, a sack. It was, it was solid. It was solid. You, it's, it was winning football. Um, last game, one of the highest games of his career for passing yardage. I think if you look at that, was it the, the highest? I think it was the highest. Yeah, highest highest at West Virginia, at least, with 370 yards. But let's let's middle these two games here and say these last two games are how he finishes out the year. So you ha- you you middle these. His average game is going to be 26 of 37, which is 70% completion rate for 314 yards with two TDs and one pick. Say what he does that the rest of the year. West Virginia goes three and one and then wins a, a middling bowl game. So they end up, what is that, eight and five? Did I do that math right? Eight and five. Daggy has 3,000 some yards, 20 some touchdowns, two to, ten, two to one inter, TD to interception ratio, near 70% completion rate, and riding high on the second half of this year. How do you tell that quarterback to go away? Yeah, I just and again, like it would have been very easy before. Now, like two yeah, seen. two weeks ago, it's it's see you later, and now I don't know. It it, it the, the the biggest commodity in college football is a quarterback. Yeah, and it, and here's the thing too: if they go seven and six, they get to a bowl game, and they win it. They get to a bowl game and they lose it. Whatever. They go seven and six. You really haven't climbed. I, I know that, like, hey, to get to seven and six, that means you had a pretty good second half of the season. That's fine. But ultimately, it's the whole that matters and not the parts. So you really haven't done a whole lot. And that puts that puts a lot of emphasis on that fourth season where you really got to move. This is no year zero. There's no COVID year. You know, this is a, a full-blown off-season program, winter, spring, summer, fall, in your fourth season that that season has to click and it would seem that if Daigie can get you to that spot where you are seven and six, he's got something going that would be beneficial for your offense. And you might want to have him there. And again, he may not be the best quarterback in the big 12. He's in the conference in passing, <laughs> but he, he might be the best situation for what would be a really, really important season too. Cause if you go seven and six and you put a green quarterback uh, play on words, my bad. <laughs> Might have to edit that out. You put an unproven quarterback under center next year, and you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit because that momentum has to continue. It has to be a good year next year. Next year has to be the year to answer a lot of questions. It's because a lot of the yeah buts don't exist. And if the yeah but is yeah, but we could have had Daigie and we didn't, that would be a huge regret. They're going to have to make this decision on the fly and and be right. 100% right on this because if you keep digging, you're probably losing somebody from that room. And then if you don't keep them, you have to put somebody in. That that could be a, a, a bad thing too. But here, here's my question for you, Chris. Mm-hmm. Does Diggy want to do it? Great question. That's, that's a great question. That's the most important part to me too because I, I think it'd be fair to say he has probably enjoyed the past eight days far more than he enjoyed the everything that came before it short of being celebrated when he came on the field at the end of the 2019 season. But last year and this year have been rough. And you can just tell talking to him that it weighs on him. Um, coaching is in the family. He's talked about how he wants to get into coaching. He's not an NFL quarterback, so it's not like he's going to go chase the dream and, and and cash in right away at the end of the season. It's not like he's rushing out the door in Morgantown to be an NFL quarterback. But it's this guy who wants to get into coaching or training or something like that. Why wait? You know, if, if he can – if he can get this too again, seven and six, you know, eight and five, whatever, and has a really good six game run, that that might be enough for a guy who who just wants to go on to the next phase of his career. I don't know that part of it either. That's another one. But again, these are these are very new conversations. Fluid, volatile, I get that, but these are things we were not talking about before, and you have to consider both sides of it here. Um, moving on, this one's from Ifeon, I believe is how you pronounce it. Who gets yelled at tomorrow for the lackluster attendance? The sales team, marketing team, or does the athletic department not say anything to anyone? Mm-hmm. Um, can I give my answer 
Because I feel like it's obvious, but I know how much you enjoy telling me I'm wrong when I think it's really obvious. Do it. So, is the person that gets yelled at the football team? Probably. Okay. Okay. Probably so. And maybe like whoever like makes it rain in Morgantown. That's that's a bummer too. But yeah, the, the team wasn't good. And like of all the well, listen, you shouldn't play a rivalry game on Halloween weekend. That should be the the big rivalry weekend later in the season. And Iowa State's West Virginia's rival, for better or for worse, in the Big Twelve. It's the closest school geographically. It's a team that's always had that rivalry spot too. I'm joking, of course, but the point is that like this is one of those things where your team isn't good. You don't have that natural draw short of Oklahoma or Texas. It's going to make people come to a game. It certainly isn't Iowa State. No offense to Iowa State, but no one's saying, hey, get my slicker. I'm going to go sit in the rain for a couple hours, knock back some Super Bowl 52 Coors Lights, and go inside and watch West Virginia's 3-4 and four team play Iowa State's number 22 ranked team in the country. There's not a lot of people who are doing that, that are going out of their way doing that. The committed people, sure, but the people who move it from 45 to 60,000, obviously not a lot of them took that bait. So I think you're right there. Yeah, I just don't feel like, yeah, nobody won. The, the three-game losing streak, is going. it, it dampers excitement. It mm-hmm. just does. There's no denying that. I don't care what fan base this is. I, this isn't a West Virginia thing. This, is a, this isn't even a college football thing. This is an every team and every sport at every level kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, TCU win. It's like, okay, you know, all right. But what do, what do you take from that? I don't know. Am I – are we expecting because West Virginia beat a seemed pretty bad TCU team that, you know, they're going to compete with the number 22 team in the country that there's all of a sudden going to be offense. Or are we just going to watch in, you know, some drizzling, cool rain, uh, just a, a nasty, gross game where our team turns it over three times and play some defense and we don't do anything on offense. Like that's just doesn't seem like a, a thing for fans. And, that's not on marketing. That's not on sales. That's not on uh, anybody in any of the, those departments. It's just the product was not good. And that's something that, you know, we, I, I, I haven't told you this, Mike. I got a, I got a message at about 1 a.m. Saturday night, Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. So I think we might have an idea of what that was influenced by. Mm-hmm. Um, say, boy, your demeanor has really changed over the last couple of weeks. About this football team. Get your demeanor straight. Yeah. You know what else has changed about this team over the last couple of weeks? Everything. The way they're performing on the field. The product they're putting out there. The end results. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's our job to, you know, when the team is good, say why it's good. When the team is bad, to say why it's bad. And the fans and, and the football team is supposed to put out a good product for the fans and the fans want to see a good product. And I think there wasn't a trust that there was a good product and that's why they didn't show up. Weather didn't help. Now this weekend, Oklahoma state, another ranked team, a little bit of excitement, a little bit of a good product. I mean, three thirty start. Yeah. Now I hate that start, but no, no. fan fans tell me they, they love it. So yeah. That's the best for the university. By the way, did I spell demeanor right? I I don't know. Did you? When I emailed you at <laughs> four in the morning, did I spell demeanor right? <laughs> oh God! No, I wouldn't put that past you. I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, I don't know how they can market better. You know, I mean, short of like doing like a um, some ticket gimmick stunt, which they're not going to do. I don't know how they can market better. And then. To be honest, there's probably some people that did an either or. Let's go to the basketball game Friday or football game Saturday. Mm-hmm. Basketball, I'm not sure the attendance was there, but I'm sure that's part of it. Like, you know, you can't give, you know, it's it's apple picking. It's pumpkin picking weekend, right? So can you do both of them? I don't know. We'll see. And then, yeah, I just, it's, it's, it's not like a three-game losing streak as much as a three-season thing. I don't think that there's like a, there wasn't a known bounce back or an optimistic outcome that you were expecting there. You were just kind of like, I think, conditioned to expect a certain thing here. And man, they're playing a team that's really beaten them badly the last couple of years. I don't know that that TCU thing is going to change everything. Now, granted, that might have been wrong, but that should that should deliver a big number. Do you think you're close to 60,000 on Saturday? Uh, so it was 45, right? For the 45, Iowa State game? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. I think it would be disappointing if it wasn't above 55 or at least above like 52. Because you're so it was 45 when you're playing Iowa State, good team, mm-hmm. Oklahoma State, good team, a better team. I mean, at least as far as rankings go, um, you, you're getting that middle of the day time slot, so that's good. That should be the same. You, you, again, you got a good opponent, same time slot, presumably better weather. I haven't checked the weather yet, but I mean, if it if the weather is better. I think it would be disappointing if West Virginia didn't surpass 52, 53,000. I'd agree. I mean, they're waiting for people to come to come around on this, I think, if they weren't there before Iowa State. And if the come around moment isn't a win against Iowa State with another home game right after it, then that would be a problem, I would think. So I think that's, yeah. that's a fair expectation. All right. I don't know if this is going to be the last question, but maybe it's the most important question, or at least the one that everybody wants answers to including us, I suppose. Um, I'll ask it from Mud Lobster Lock 4. Why have they not disclosed the change regarding offensive play calling duties? Has Neil Brown Neil Brown really stopped calling the plays? I, I don't know, and yes. Um, I did All right, let's wrap it up then. That's a good podcast, Mike. I did good? not watch the, the TV version of the game i haven't yet i'm going to try to find something on youtube although i'm very interested because i heard that i've i've gotten a lot of comments about the sideline reporter oh god it it the sideline report i can't decide if the sideline reporter was terrible or the color commentator was terrible because the analyst i didn't think was bad i thought he was pretty good uh, was it whedon, Brandon I, whedon yeah. okay so he was he was fine i didn't have any strong opinions about him either way which um, kind of like referees, if I don't have strong opinions about you, that probably means you did a decent job. Um, but the color commentator, she was like a more, she was trying to do her best Gus Johnson, I felt like. Every throw was, oh my God, what a catch. Oh! And it was just like a regular first down. Um, and the guy on the sideline, I do not know what his job was for this game. They would cut to him and he would tell you nothing of substance be very amped up about it and be staring intently into the camera and then they just cut away so it was it was an interesting production to say the least sorry did they talk about play calling at all because they have this meeting right yeah the day before the game where brown will sit down and meet with his sports information people with the play-by-play crew did they mention any of that stuff about play calling or the process or whatever not during the time that i could bear listening to the production before i had to I had to switch and do the sync, the stream sync, which, by the way, loved um, MSN tweeting out from their official Twitter account. <laughs> turn, turn down the t- it was like after the first quarter when everybody was complaining. Turn down the TV, turn up the radio. Here's how oh, you okay. sync up, sync up your feed. <laughs> Good move. Yeah. I like that. So there's like an hour meeting with the coach, his sports information people. I think that maybe like coordinators get in there too, and players, but like. The sports information people and the head coach meet with the play-by-play crew and the the um, the producers and all that stuff. And that's how you get, like, a lot of the anecdotes and stories about background stuff, like Tony Mathis's knee surgery, for example. <laughs> but they also, the the play-by-play and the color commentary, they read. And I, I, I would just say this. I get messages from people a lot. Um, sometimes it's, hey, can I get this behind the paywall? But also, hey, can you tell me more about this? And these people who are calling the games. And... They ask a question about it or whatever. And then, listen, you'll, you'll notice this. You'll read something that that we've written or, or even has been discussed in a press conference that someone else has written. And it gets mentioned, parenthetically, anecdotally during the game about to explain about a player's story, his progress, an injury, you know, his background, whatever. And a lot of that is just pulled from they read clips. How the heck do you not <laughs> have any type of background information or, or anecdotal stuff about the play calling thing at West Virginia, because that to me was like a pretty significant story in the past week, right? Which means it never came up, which means that they're really still trying to keep this quiet. Like Brown obviously kind of went out of his way in the news conference Tuesday to not do it. He didn't volunteer it when they talked about with the uh, the play-by-play team and the, the color commentary and all that in their pregame meeting Friday. So it's not like he said, hey, we're doing a cool new thing on offense. So I want you to give some, some shine to my offensive coordinator and my analyst, whatever. Didn't do that. So I think they're really trying to keep this quiet because, again, if you, if you give that defensive staff at Oklahoma State or or Texas or wherever a clue, they might be on top of this and then try to get you know a, a beat on what you're doing and try to match up some answers that other teams may have had against the Penn State 
or against uh, Minnesota, let's say, in the past, see if it works too. So I get why they're being quiet. I just don't know why they can't be honest about it. I'm just, I'm a guy who wants transparency. That's always my thing. It's just the nature of my job. But it seems like for one reason or another, it's hard to get straight answers on a lot of stuff here. You know, what what year is a guy when he transfers in? Is he a walk-on or is he not? What's up with Jalen Anderson? Like some of that stuff is just hard to get straight answers on. And that just may be their MO, like a less is more kind of thing for them. Like they don't want to get bogged down and having to give you details and all that stuff. Um, maybe they just don't think it's any of your business. I don't know, but it's just kind of been their way. So this is a little bit different than a player's eligibility or whether or not he'll enroll. I do think it's somewhat similar, but there maybe is some strategic thing here too. But I can just tell you what people have told me. They were they were confused and, and a little bit disappointed about what happened on Tuesday and how it wasn't spelled out. And then you just watch it. It's different. Like, he's not near the play calling at all during the game. So, again, short answer, long, back to short again. Can't explain it. And no, he's not calling plays. My counter to the we got to keep it secret so nobody can game plan better for it. it is, well, first, we know Kirk Chirac is not calling the plays. Okay, for everybody, that, that little conspiracy theory that was going on. But everybody else that, that's on staff, like the, the, of the 10 assistant coaches, how many of them have called plays before? Where are you pulling samples from, tape from, to prepare yourself? I'm not aware of any of them actually calling plays before. I mean, obviously, we're talking offense only, so we're talking only five, um, five guys here. But who's, who's called plays before? I don't think any of them have, unless Parker was calling him during his brief stint at, at where he's interim at, at uh, Purdue. But there's th- there's no reason to try to hide this, and I, or at least not not that's not the reason. I don't think or it shouldn't be the reason, right? I have a lot of theories. I just I don't know how much people care about it or whatever. Like I could I could really roll on this, but I have a feeling it's going to be like there goes Mike again. And I just and listen, if you want to do it, we can do a Patreon or something like that, or you can just like message me and ask for my thoughts about it. But like I just I have thoughts about it, and I mentioned one too. It might have been smart in that you beat TCU. Well, yeah, they can't stop the run. You have the two best defenses in the Big Twelve coming up, and if Brown all of a sudden you know throws a parade for his new offensive play calling after beating TCU and it doesn't work out against Iowa State and Oklahoma State, if they go one and two in that three-game stretch, well, you've again, you've made your big move and it didn't work. And maybe the head coach panicked. Maybe he doesn't have the fortitude to see this through. Like, you can see you can see the other side of that, too. I don't think that's what happened. I think it's a way to, to justify it and explain it. But, like, I could see that being an explanation of, hey, let's, let's get some results here before we really unveil this. And it's also possible that, oh, I can't wait to say this. Okay. It's also possible that we're really smart and we're good at our job and that two people in that room saw it and wanted to talk about it and maybe Neil Brown didn't want to the other day. That's that's entirely possible as well. It is possible. I it's, don't know if we're going to go likely. likely. Yeah, that's not going <laughs> to likely. But it is possible. It is possible. Uh, Mike, any of the other ones that you, you desperately wanted to discuss on the podcast? Again, I'll, I'll answer any ones we don't get to in written form and we'll post it Tuesday morning. But any of the ones you desperately want to talk about right now? Just one. Blue okay. and gold 81. What's the deal with kickoffs? <laughs> little Seinfeld there. Uh, is there no one on the roster who can kick out of the end zone? There's not. Uh, why play all the games with short and squib kicks without rewatching the game? I'm pretty sure at least twice the kickoff team would have been better off kicking it out of bounds. <laughs> well, one of the times when they actually did kick it deep and the guy got a same return that their kickoff return team or kickoff coverage team isn't very good. And it's been expo- exposed a couple of times to the point now that they're pretty much giving them one shot before they swap out Staley for leg and let leg do the directional kicks because I guess he's better at it. And also maybe they don't want Staley trying to have to go down and cover kicks because of his leg and his history there. But I think they have one guy who can do it, but Danny King has not been in uniform once this year. Um, I've had people message me that say he was supposed to be out like six weeks, which means that he should be back, but not for road games, not for home games. He had his number 39 Jersey uh, atop a hoodie Saturday. So that's a guy from not far down the road who, People who saw him play in games, in camps, in practices said he's got a really big foot and he can put it deep in the end zone, but he hasn't been available. So maybe they do have somebody on the roster, but um, their thing right now is to let Staley do it. And if it doesn't work, then they're going to pull the shoot pretty quick and they're going to go the directional kicks with um, with leg. And then I wonder if like a team is going to scheme that up instead of having like a tight end up there, maybe have like somebody with some ball skills, a short man who can return it. 
you'll see teams do that sometimes, put a big receiver back there because he can block a little bit, but he could also do something with the return. I don't know if you go that far down the rabbit hole when you're prepping for West Virginia special teams. It might just be smarter and easier to have your guy fair catch it, take the ball at the 30 or whatever. I just wonder if it's going to hurt West Virginia. Like if you if you duff one of these or if you get up some sort of return, you're getting the ball 40 plus. And I don't know, I, I, I kind of like their defense still. They can take a nap every so often, but I'd really like to have field position on my side. So if I could find a way to get that better, I would. I wouldn't just... I wouldn't just like bail right away and just say, all right, directional kicks. We'll sacrifice 10 yards of field position every time instead of risking a return. I really try to get the ball in the end zone with somebody. So maybe see Danny King, maybe see Colton McGee. I could certainly see the frustration there, but the reason is that they don't have somebody right now who can, you know, who can kick it over the hedges like you see in some of these other schools where the ball just booms out of the end zone. Let me follow this up with another question for you because after the TCU game, Neil Brown said, you know, they, they got the kickoff return for the touchdown to kick to start the game. And then they went squibs the whole rest of the way. And Neil Brown praised the squib kicks and coverage and said it was, I believe I'm kind of semi-quoting here. I'm trying to paraphrasing that it was exactly what he wanted. Are the squib kicks exactly what he wants or is that his only option? No. That's that's the best <laughs> bad idea right now, you know. Okay. Because again, if you could, you would. I think you would just you would just bang it to the end zone if you could, or you you kick it like in between the pylon and like the ten, the number ten, right. and, and you try to cover it or something like that. I don't. They maybe they can't just do that consistently. But the other thing is too is that I, I really think they wanted to give it one more shot against Iowa State and see if they could get that because Iowa State's special teams aren't good, and if they could run down and make a tackle, then that might solve that problem. It might make everybody feel better. I'm sure they worked on a bunch during the week. So give it one shot, roll the dice, see what happens. It just didn't work. So then you just kind of go to plan B, which again, is the best bad idea. Those, and those are hard too. Like those are not like, there's a, there's a lot of margin for error on squibs because if the ball bounces funny, you know, it, the, the play can backfire on you too. If it skips through, if you hit it too hard, all of a sudden you kick a line drive or a one hopper to the return man who is almost like fielding a punt return at that point against guys who aren't on punt team coverage. It's a little bit different. You know, the ball may bounce and go out of bounds. There's just there's a lot that can go wrong there. It's not as easy as I like, just squib it. Like there's and they do different things too. They get in the air, they aim at people, they try to bounce it. The other thing is too is you're not kicking it at people with ball skills. Like tight ends are not the most coordinated types. Even even Iowa State's tight ends. But it's hard for them to catch a short hopper or to run with their back to the field and catch it over their shoulder. Like they put the TCU tight end in some tricky spots, if I remember correctly. So there is a payoff there where a guy duffs one or it bounces up and hits him in the face mask, and all of a sudden your your guy running down the field has it. So that could work too. There's there's a potential for some sort of a payoff there, but it can go sideways too. All right, Mike. I think we're ready to wrap this up then. Now that now that you got your special teams talking, do you feel better? Yes. Last one. Was Bryce Ford Wheaton in? Yes. I okay. I I did not know this for a fact. Until I saw the pictures, uh, kudos. There were several several photographers who were good job. Everybody being in in place there at the at the that end zone. Uh, ben, ben Queen, Queen uh, from USA Today. You know that's who we use a lot of photos from. Uh, great catch from him because in those pictures you can actually see ball in hand, foot on ground. Because I don't know what it looked like from the press box, but on the TV stream, his shoe is the same color as the paint in the end zone. Like, I mean, literally, it's because it's, you know, both the w, official WVU color. Mm-hmm. You couldn't tell. Like, on the stream, I literally could not tell where his foot stopped and the end zone started. So, from the angles they kept showing on the on on review, on replay, on the stream, I didn't know if his foot touched the ground. I on If you told me it touched the ground or if it was three inches off the ground, I would have said, okay. I had no clue, and I did not know until I saw the pictures and his foot was firmly on the ground. How does he make that catch and he doesn't make the one in the back of the end zone in Oklahoma? I have no idea. That was a ridiculous catch. Incredible. What, what a game for him, too. The, the full the full experience there for Bryce Ford Wheaton, too. Mm-hmm. Now, full experience for you and I, Chris. Darn near an hour of uh, questions on coaching and special teams and everything in between. Got some recruiting. Like calling. Lots of stuff there. Um, many things coming up on the website. Text from game day. Already up. You've got some recruiting scoop. Scoop? Strong word. Update? 
Yeah, I haven't seen updates. I haven't seen recruit reactions from anywhere else, and we got the new offer up. I haven't seen stories with him anywhere. Uh, I could be missing it, but, yeah, I mean, big news from the weekend. Good, a lot of positive reviews from from the game, obviously, and uh, new defensive lineman offer, Will Smith. That's what's up right now. He comes from the same high school as 2021 signee Hammond Russell, so he is familiar with the program, came up and camped in the summer, so good you know good recruiting stuff good recruiting momentum going on right now for a team that a class that i don't want to say was in peril but you know three straight losses questions about the conference all that stuff that that's something you got to fight off and instead they, they've seemed to have turned that ship around just like they have with the on-field product really quite a story if they can weather the the conference stuff um a valley during the regular season and push this thing across the goal line with the big time class that's that's pretty good work there too so plenty to look forward to there including what's becoming the highlight of the week not the neil brown press conference but the what neil said and what he actually meant part of the press conference <laughs> which happens online now i love it i hate it i also love it so this ought to be fun again on tuesday uh, we'll have plenty more before and after that getting ready 3 30 saturday ranked iowa state see if the season can continue to go um, in the direction that they intend. Until then, I am Mike Cazazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. I enjoy your demeanor, Chris. We'll talk to you next time.